All right, here we go, everybody. We are launching um, a new series into the book of James, and I'm so excited to be in there with you guys. And uh, I want to, my job today is to get you ready for this series, okay? To get you into the right mindset for James, because James does not hold back any punches, all right? So, while I go get some water to clear my throat, I want you to share for a moment what is one scripture in your life that's meant, that's had a big impact on you. Is there a scripture in your life that's made an impact on you? Just turn and share with a friend just for a moment. I want to share a story with you. When I was uh, in college, I would walk to UCSD and there was this verse that was really sticking in my head. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. And on my way, as I was walking the 25 minutes to get to campus, I would just be meditating on this simple idea. It was just in my head over and over again, just saying, God, help me to be quick to listen, so to speak. Then I would get to campus and get right on talking. Because if you can't tell, I like to talk. And I, anyone else like that in here, a talker? You, you know, hey, there can be a gift to it, you know, where you just feel like right away when someone's sharing something, you've got something to say that's going to encourage them or guide them. And I always have something to say. But God was teaching me, hey, listen, be quick to listen. Don't be such a big talker. Be quiet. Listen to me and what I'm doing. Scripture has that ability, and James is so pithy. He is so punchy, and he just gets in your head like that. And now, like 30 years later, I still I remember that verse, and I remember those walks. And my wife today is so grateful for that verse in my life. <clears throat> But I want to get you into, the, in, into a, a mindset so that James can speak to you because he's going to get in your business. He's going he's gonna to call us out. He's going to say, it's great that you have great, wonderful thoughts about God, but what are you doing about it? He's a little bit like Simon Says. So we're going to play a little bit of Simon Says. You ready for me? Simon Says, stand up. Now, come on now, stand up. I know, I know. Some of us are like, oh, is he going to really make us do something? And you're feeling kind of goofy, maybe a little patronized. And that's what James is like. James is going to get in our business and he's going to say, look, let's not just theorize, let's not just philosophize and theologize about, theologize about God. Let's live it out. And it's a little bit like Simon says. He's going to be calling us out and all kinds of things saying, okay, you know it, but are you doing it? Come on now, Simon says, lift up your left hand. Come on, Simon says, lift up your right hand. All right, now Simon says, let's pray. Lord, God, teach us right now to surrender ourselves to you. Every area of our life where you want to speak into, the way that we use our words, God, the place and the way that we use anger in our life, the role of prayer, the way that we respond to people in need, God, we want to let your wisdom seep into every nook and cranny of us. Lord, have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Simon says, sit down. You can sit down. <clears throat> Here we go for our scripture of the morning. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. That is our verse. Come on now. Told you he's tight and punchy and pithy. We're going to unpack the, the, the letter of James. So as we go, we start next week into chapter one, 
you guys understand where this is coming from and the kind of posture that we need to be in to allow the book of James to really speak into our life. Now, I want to use this opening verse to get us started to understand, number one, the person, the people, and the purpose of the letter of James. The person who wrote it, James. Number two, uh, the people to whom he is writing so that you can find your place in his letter. Number three, the purpose. So you understand its relevancy. That, yeah, this is a 2,000-year-old document, but just like 2,000 years ago, don't we sometimes get confused about the place of anger in our life? Don't, can anyone relate to having a hard time with controlling their mouth sometimes? Come on. No? Is that just a 2,000-year-old problem? No, no. It's, he's going to talk to us about our tendencies to show favoritism to people. And he's going to talk to us about who we choose to give attention to and who we ignore. He's going to talk to us about the way we engage with the needs of people in our life. He's going to talk to us about the place of prayer and how we draw near to God. He's going to just get into all of it. And I want to start with the person who wrote this letter. Now, right at the beginning, it says this right here. Check this out. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have written, James, brother of Jesus. Holla, give me some respect. You better listen to me. Come on. I know Jesus personally. He could have done that because he was the half-brother of Jesus. And what's so fascinating is he doesn't describe himself in that way, but he describes himself as a servant of God and not necessarily of his brother, but of his Lord, Jesus Christ. And that says a lot about James. That even though he was brother to Jesus, he came to recognize him as the Messiah and as his Lord. And because he puts God and Jesus together, he's getting the picture that Jesus was more than just an ordinary human being. There was something divine about him. Now, James. James, yes, the half-brother of Jesus. And there's, get this. Um, if you're here and you're wondering, gosh, you know, is this a place for me? I don't know where I'm at with Jesus. I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Or I've been raised knowing about Jesus, believing in him, but I don't know if I really, if taking Jesus' word seriously in my life is really for me, then you're in good company because James, the brother of Jesus, had the same problem. You know, there was no biblical record that James followed Jesus as Messiah during his ministry. During Jesus' earthly ministry, there's no indication that James believed in him. In fact, there's a moment where he shows up with his mom because they think Jesus is out of his mind. Now, he does eventually become a believer, and he becomes a devoted follower through a post-resurrection encounter with Jesus. And so can you just imagine brother to brother? Jesus shows up and goes, I told you, bro, I told you. And she's like, oh, you know, just like only a sibling can. Yeah, you're right, Jesus. You're always right. <laughs> like, a, like an older brother. He does become a devoted follower. And uh, James also becomes an apostle. You can see that in Galatians 1.19. And because of that, he becomes a respected leader in the community. In fact, he becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. 
And as a key leader, he's writing this letter to the Christians who have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Most scholars agree, get this, you may not know this, but James is the earliest New Testament book written around anywhere from 45 to 48 AD. That's 12 to 15 years after the resurrection. They put this before Mark and all the Gospels that this was the first New Testament letter that was circulating among Christians. And James had it in his heart that he needed to guide and direct and pastor this growing movement of Jesus' followers that was spreading throughout the world. And that takes us to the people that he was writing it to. It says here in verse 1, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Why are they scattered and what does that mean and what does that relate to us with? Okay, number one, they're scattered because in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, you go look there, you're going to see that when Stephen was martyred, a huge trend broke out in persecuting Christians, arresting them, torturing them, trying to quench this upstart movement. And so the Christians were scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. From that moment on, the megachurch of Jerusalem, and it was a megachurch of thousands of families, became a church planting movement. That was always God's intention. Remember Acts 1, Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And so what the enemy meant to destroy the church only served to expand it and to enable the church to fulfill its mission. In the midst of persecution and trial, we get caught up sometimes thinking, oh no, now the church is done. Oh no, we get kind of all anxious about how look at what culture is going to do to the church. And God's like, don't worry. I've been around for 2,000 years. How long you been around? The church has been around a long time. And often when it looks like the, the light of the church is about to be snuffed out, it is only being spread in ways we can't imagine. And because it's scattered, these believers were not going out afraid and anxious and nervous. Oh, no. You know, they saw loved ones carried off to prison, but they had the boldness to go out. And when they walked under their high schools to tell their friends about who Jesus is, come on now. When they walked into their workplaces, when they walked, when they went out to their extended family members, they had the courage to tell the world about Jesus. Aren't you grateful they did? Can you imagine if those early believers just said, you know, this is a bit controversial. Maybe we'll just keep this quiet. They'll just see it in, you know, they'll just know it because they'll see what a good person I am. But you're like, no, no, they're going to go out and they're going to tell and demonstrate it so that people can't miss it. Okay. Now, because of this, James is writing to them because he wants to guide them because as more and more people are coming to faith, all right, as more and more people come to faith, he feels a need to direct them because they're getting confused about what it means for them to be truly distinctive as God's people in a culture that's giving them mixed messages about how to live their life and what they live their life by. And so he puts on what you could call like a podcast, right? We use podcasts today. With a podcast, you can speak to people all over the world. And that's what James is. James is an encyclical letter that was meant to be not sent to one church, but to many churches. So it was out there just traveling around from church to church, and they would read it out loud to each other. And he made it tight and pithy so that it would be memorable, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The prayers of a righteous person accomplish much. 
You see what I'm saying? Just gets in here. It's going to get in there with us. He wants to get in there. There's a hundred. Oh, I, I, let me say this. The other idea about being scattered is that they were exiles, right? It says in 1 Peter 2.11. Listen to this. Let me just read this to you. It's not on the screen. 1 Peter 2.11. Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among non-believers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. See, you're going out as aliens and strangers, as foreigners, or another translation as temporary residents, and there's a wisdom in you that's not going to make sense to the world. There is a value or a vision of life that is in you that is not going to make sense. It's going to be foreign. And he wants to make sure you don't lose sight of that and you don't lose heart in that because you're standing out and not fitting in with everybody else. You're going to be set apart. The way that you engage with social media is going to look different. The way you date, the way you do your career, the way you spend your time and your money, it's going to be set apart. And in all of it, it's going to reflect this wisdom that is not intuitive. There's going to be an uncommonness to this sense. It's not common sense. It's going to be an uncommon sense. There's a hundred, or I'll give you an example. As these believers are sent out into this culture, there's all kinds of competing values like ours today. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to right now? There's all these different voices about how we should be responding and living, what we should be prioritizing, who we should be listening to, what we should be reading. I remember I was just walking, I was just at my kid's soccer game, and I saw this big truck with big, chunky, oh, just big gritty tires. You know those trucks? I love, I mean, I, I felt my testosterone level rise just as I touched the truck. I did. I did. I just touched it. Woo! I'm feeling just a little more mainly walking away from that truck. And, you know, I, you know, my, you know I, I was, I'm attracted to that truck. I was like, that's cool. But then I saw this sticker. And it said, lions, not lambs. Now, there is this prevailing idea in our culture right now, and it's even among Christians that we have got to be lions and not lambs. We have got to stand our ground and not be pushed around. We need to go out there and we need to assert ourselves. And there is some truth to that, but there is something missing about this lions, not lambs thing. Because Jesus himself said, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. We are not the wolves. And we want to be the wolves. Come on. If you had to become an animal, what animal would you choose? Would you be stuck in sub-Saharan Africa as a lion or as a lamb? Are you, I mean, come on, seriously. I would want to, be the, I want to be the lion. Come on now, send me out there in that big truck. I'll do that. <laughs> no, no dissy on the trucks. I actually really think they're cool. I like them. But it's this that competing value, what it means for us to be distinct as men and women of God in this culture? And what are the values that need to express, be expressed in our life? And we need James to guide and direct us because we're, we're getting confused because we feel threatened. We're in uncertain times and our fight or flight kicks in. 
And easily, we're not operating by a wisdom that comes from God. We're operating from a wisdom that comes from culture. It comes from our egos. And, then, and these believers who are spread throughout the Roman Empire were dealing with the same stuff. That's why there's 108 out of 108 verses in James, there are 54 imperatives. Oh, he's got something for us. Okay, what that means is that James is going to get up in our business. He's going to get up in our business, and he's going to, he's a bit of a space invader. You know what I mean by space invader? You know those people, they just get a little too close, you know, physically. Hey, what's up? They're like up in your face, you know, or, or like, you know, those people that like just always want to know, what's going on in your life? How are you doing? Just getting a little too personal. My mom's a Mexican mama, and that's my mom. You, know, you show up at my house, my mom, she's going to give you the biggest hug. She doesn't even know you. Boom, she's hugging you. She's up in your business. Mijito, mijito, what are you doing? Mijito, where are you? Where are you? What's going on? Who are those friends are hanging out with, Mijito? And then James is like a good pastor who's going to press and warn and urge us. He's going to be pressing the life of Jesus into every nook and cranny of your life, especially where it makes you uncomfortable. It's going to get you uncomfortable. You'll see. And that gets us to the purpose of it, right? Right there. Now we're getting into the purpose. So the person, James, brother of Jesus, come on. That's legit. God better listen to this guy. Number two, the people, people scattered, people out among those who don't know Jesus. Can you relate? Trying to figure out how do I live this life? And thirdly, the purpose. We're calling this series titled Wisdom from Above. I want to talk about why why this is the theme for this series as we go through James. There's a lot of ways to look at James, but listen to chapter 317 in James, and you'll see why. James 317, but the what? Wisdom from above. This is a wisdom that's coming outside of what is natural. It's above. It's not intuitive for you. It's not even comfortable. All right, we get that, right? We got to get that. Because sometimes God's wisdom is going to be like, oh, that's not the way I would do it. No kidding. Because it's a wisdom from above, not below. It's, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving and gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. Are you uncomfortable yet? Come on now, isn't that that part of you that's like, I am not going to be a doormat. Are you with me? Come on, I want to know. I remember one time when my son was dealing with bullies at school. I, he had bullies. I was like, oh man, when I was young, my dad just said, just punch that guy in the face. That's what my dad just taught me, just punch that guy in the face, knock him out. And that's what I did. Bully even touched me, boom, right in the nose. But then I was like, ah, oh, but I wasn't a Christian. My dad wasn't a Christian. I, God, what's your wisdom here? How do, how do we respond in these moments? I don't want my kid to be a pushover. I don't want to be a pushover. Are you uncomfortable? Come on, this gets in our face a little bit. Because we don't want people taking advantage of us. Especially when we feel threatened. And right now, the church feels threatened. Not necessarily our church, but the church in general. Or we can feel threatened because of uncertain financial future. Maybe we're not sure about our job. Maybe there's something going on in our marriage, or our relationships, where we're feeling uncertain afraid. 
And that fight or flight wants to get in there and masquerade as the wisdom of God. Saying things to us like, got to pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. God helps he who helps himself. That's not in the Bible. That is the book of nowhere, chapter 1, <laughs> verse 1. It is full, get this, of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. So what is wisdom and why look at James through that lens? Number one, wisdom is pure. He says right here, first of all, it is pure. This is this inward quality. Pure meaning that this wisdom is in right relationship to God's wisdom. It's in right relationship to the way God sees you and the way that God sees the world and other people and the way that God is looking at life. That's, it's an inward quality about wisdom, but it's more than that. Look at this part right here. It is full of mercy, yes, and the fruit of good deeds. It has an inward and an outward quality as well. It is humble, gentle, and yet it is courageous with its good deeds. Now, I want to read this quote to you to kind of unpack it a little bit more. Look at this quote right here. One of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. We need this right now in our day and age, where we're consumed with getting the right information right, getting the right news feed, just knowing the facts. Just because you have all the facts does not mean you have wisdom. We need to know that today. And he goes on, he says, many people know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. Don't you love that wording there? It's just so catchy and funny. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. I mess with you there. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Let me give you an illustration. Okay, I got this from a wise friend of mine. All right, here it is. It's one thing to know a tomato is a fruit. Are you with me? Did you know that? Okay. It is wisdom to not put it in a fruit salad. Are you with me? I thought that was like perfect, right? Like, yes, that sums it up in a nutshell. Wisdom is the application of right thinking into right action. That is wisdom. Wisdom is not knowing Jesus. It is knowing how to do, apply that faith and that trust in Jesus in a moment where someone in need is coming to you in, for a handout or you're tempted to treat somebody else with special favor and ignore somebody else. Or someone comes to you who needs prayer and how to respond to that moment. Or what to do when someone makes you angry and how to respond to anger in our life. All right? That's wisdom. Now, I want you to pause for a moment right here. Just pause. Take a deep breath. Where do you need wisdom in your life right now? Where do you need help knowing how to apply and live out your faith and your understanding and knowledge of Jesus? Where? Where do you feel like right now you need God to give you wisdom in life? All right? Take a moment in your marriage, in making some decision about your future, in some relationship about relationships. Where do you need wisdom? Take a moment right now. If you could get wisdom right now, if you could just get, like, if I could just sprinkle some of this on you and boom, instantaneous wisdom, like, in a moment, where would you want it right now? Right now. Turn to a neighbor and just share where you would have, choose 
to have wisdom right now if you could get it. Would you just turn and just share really quick? Come on. Husbands, you better say on how to be a better husband. (laughs) I'm just helping you out there. I'm just helping you out. That's a freebie. Come on, share. In particular, in uncertain times, we need wisdom. We need that anchor in the turbulence of the storm. We need that firm foundation beneath our feet. Ironically, interestingly, not ironically, but just interestingly, we're we're recognizing and remembering September 11th. My wife and I have been watching this documentary, kind of walking through this whole thing about September 11th and... You know, September 11th really, for a lot of us, just woke us up to the fact that in an instant, something can happen that just flips your whole world upside down. Are you with me? It's like in an instant, everything is normal. You're going to work, and it's like a normal, ordinary day. And you're listening to these people recount these stories. I am up there in the, twin, in the towers just doing my boring work. I got it every day. It's a normal day. The biggest adventure was what pair of shoes to wear with my outfit. And next thing you know, a plane has collided into their building. And it's this pivotal moment in history. And, but since that moment, we've had other moments like that, haven't we? Moments that just turn your whole world upside down. And you're wondering, oh my gosh, what felt like firm ground beneath my feet now feels like shifting sand. It feels like turbulent waters. And we're all scrambling to know how do we make sense? What's heads up? What's down? Who do we listen to? How do we respond? Where do we grab a hold of for security? What is the anchor of your heart and mind? Man, we need wisdom now more than ever. It's not enough to know what's happening in the world, to have the facts, to have the most inside, inside blog, dark web, you know, perspective on what's really happening in the world. We need wisdom on how to live out the life of Christ in a dark world that is desperate for the life of Jesus. We need God's wisdom. Wisdom in how we face trials and uncertainty. Listen to this. James 1.12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because they, having stood the test, will receive the crown of life. Or wisdom with how we respond to those who are in need. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but you don't give that person any food or clothing. Listen to this question. What good does that do? Oh, that's fair. Or how we should use our words and the power of our words. Listen to this. With the tongue, we pray to our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. In chapter 120, he talks about how we respond to anger and how we're tempted to use our anger to get our way and how we need to watch out for that. Wisdom on the, how the role 
of prayer should play out in our life, right? Look, or I'm sorry, sometimes the wisest thing, going to go back, yeah, sometimes the wisest thing to do is to pause and not take action and to draw near to God. James 4.8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Sometimes you're not supposed to do anything. You're supposed to wait on the Lord. Sometimes we need wisdom on how to use prayer in our life outside of the blessing before a meal. Oh, yeah, that's good. But sometimes prayer needs to go a little further than blessing our dinner. When people are in trouble, 5 to 13, he says, when people are in trouble, when they're happy, when they're sick, when people are regretting sinful choices, pray. Look at verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We need wisdom. Where do you need wisdom? We need God's wisdom, number one, because it is the anchor amidst the trials and uncertainties of our times today. Number two, we need wisdom because we have something better to lean on than our best thinking. Isn't that wonderful to know? Lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs. Because God's promises, because God promises to give wisdom to those who ask. Listen to this. One of my favorite scriptures. This is so good. Listen to this. Chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And if you've memorized the book of James, he will give it generously to you. No. He does not say that, even though I want you to memorize it. Listen to this. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to them. God is wise naturally, perpetually, incomprehensibly infallibly and universally. He is wise. He is also wise generously and graciously. And his promise is if you need wisdom, he's going to give it to you. He is going to draw on that storehouse of wisdom that is infinite. And he's going to teach you how to live your life in a way that radiates with his goodness. Could you use that? Come on, come on. Because the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. And without God's wisdom, we're going to run straight into the waves and get body slammed. Let me give you an illustration as we wrap up here. My buddy was talking about this race he did in Oceanside. It's a mile of swim race. And everyone was lined up. The ocean was like six to seven feet of pounding waves. And he knew that this was going to be a hard one to get through because the buoy was out past the pier, pounding waves. Everyone's lined up. And he notices this woman off to his left, off to the side by herself. And you can start further from the buoy, right? So that was fine. But she's like, what is she doing over there? Everyone's charging in, right? You get into a race mindset and you're just scrambling. You're not thinking, you're reacting. And you're just adrenaline pumping, just going as hard as you can. And he's watching people just getting stuck in the current, getting drifted, getting slammed by the waves. And he's looking at her, and she's out there, and she is swimming. He's like, what is she doing? And she's in a rip current. Now, conventional wisdom says, avoid rip currents. Are you with me? Right? Ever had a lifeguard say, hey, you're in a rip current, get out? But this is not about conventional wisdom. In this case, you want the rip current. So he runs out, left, right? Because there's about 75 people in his heat, and he's waiting his turn. He runs out, and he follows her. She's all by herself, the only one. And she's like on a conveyor belt, just zipping through the surf. And he just jives in after, and he starts swimming, and he's getting pulled out to sea. Come on now. 
as he's swimming, he's watching people just going, being pitched over the falls. Wham! Just getting tooled. But he is just going right through. When you have wisdom from above, God is going to guide you in ways that's going to set you apart. You're going to stand out. Yeah. You're going to be doing something that maybe nobody else is doing. Like, whoa, okay, you're the only one who's not on, on TikTok? Whoa, crazy. What are you, Amish? I don't know, but you're going to stand out in some ways. You're going to stand out. You're going to stand out. I want to invite the band to come on out. And as the band comes out, listen. The last reason why we need wisdom from above is because this world is looking for a beacon in the dark night. There are powerful forces of darkness that are in this world. And you, my friends, are a city on a hill that must never be hidden. And we cannot afford to get caught up in the wisdom of the world because we think it'll make us popular or it's going to be easy or it's going to be pragmatic. God's wisdom is not always going to be pragmatic. It's not always going to be meet the bottom line. It's not always going to make you feel popular or understood, but it's going to be pure. It's going to be humble. It's going to be gentle. You're not going to necessarily feel like a lion ready to devour, you know, some little defenseless bunny, but it's going to make you able to find those rip currents so that others can find their way through the storm with you. Because more than ever, this world needs men and women who radiate with the wisdom of God, not of the world. Fathers, our children need it. Mothers, our husbands need it. There's an area in your life where you need a fresh feeling of God's wisdom. Would you just join me right now as we close? Just put your hands out. It's just a way of acknowledging that you need God's help. It's a way of being honest before others that we need God. When others see us being honest about that need, it inspires them to be honest. Do you need God's wisdom? Put your hands out. Let's put our hands out and let's ask God. God, we need your wisdom. Some of us feel trapped in the consequences of doing the best we can with our own thinking, but there is something better, something higher, something greater, something stronger, something brighter than what we can come up with on our own. And your promise is if we lack wisdom, God, you will give it to us. Some of us, God, just feel trapped in a cycle of choices and decisions, and we need a way out. God, we need your help. God, put our feet on firm ground. Be the anchor of our soul. Be the light in our thoughts. Be our North Star. Be the rip current that pulls us out through the surf. I pray, God, that you would fill us with your wisdom. Give us the grace to let go of whatever faulty wisdom we've been clinging to to make room for yours. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go into this series, I want to just write attention to two things. Number one, you see the notes? These notes? Yeah, right here? Right here. This is a memory verse. I want to ask you to consider over the next 12 weeks that we memorize God's word together as a church. I want to ask you to consider memorizing this with your children. They're getting memory verses too. Memorize this with our roommates with our brothers, our sisters, our friends, 
Let's memorize God's word. Let's get it in us so that it's so natural. It's the default. When our mind is in fight or flight, the word of God just comes. Be quick to listen, Ryan. Slow to speak. Let's memorize God's word together every week. There'll be a memory verse right there for us for the week. Let's get God's word in our hearts. And lastly, go on Amazon. And there's all these little books by the ESV. They're called uh, Journaling Bibles. It's just the book of James. Five bucks. Scripture notes. Get yourself a copy. I had them at the bookstore, but they got sold out. So, sorry. Amazon. Now let's get into God's word together. I've been, I bought one for all my kids and we're doing it as a family. And my kids love to point out where I'm, I'm not getting it right. So it's a lot of, it's, it's a real, you know, barrel of monkeys. Have fun. All right, guys, I'll see you next week. Come up for prayer.